Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. The following is a true story. Roger Sims hitchhiking his way home would never forget the date, May 7th. His heavy suitcase made Roger tired. He was anxious to take off his army uniform once and for all. Sticking out his thumb to the oncoming car, he lost hope when he saw it was a black, sleek, new Cadillac. But to his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door opened. He ran toward the car, tossed the suitcase in the back, and then thanked the well-dressed man as he slid in the front seat. Going home for keeps, the man asked. Sure am, Roger responded. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago, Roger said. Not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago? The man replied, I have a business there. My name is Hanover. After talking about many things, Roger, a believer, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-ish, apparently successful businessman about Christ. But he kept putting it off till he realized he was just 30 minutes from his home. It was now or never. So Roger cleared his throat. Mr. Hanover, I would like to talk to you about something very important. He then proceeded to explain the way of salvation, ultimately asking Mr. Hanover if he'd like to receive Christ as his Savior. To Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road. Roger thought he was about to be ejected from the car, but the businessman bowed his head and trusted Christ as his Savior. And then he thanked Roger and turned to him and said, This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Five years went by. Roger married, had a two-year-old boy and a business of his own. Packing his suitcase for a business trip to Chicago, he found the small white business card Hanover had given him five years before. In Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises. A receptionist told him it was impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. A little confused as to what was going on, he was ushered into a nice office and found himself facing a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her, she extended her hand. You knew my husband? Roger told how her husband had given him a ride when hitchhiking home after the war. She asked, can you tell me when that was? He said, it was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. And then she probed, is there anything special about that day? Roger hesitated. He wondered if he should mention that he shared the gospel with her husband. Since he had come so far, he thought he might as well take the plunge. Mrs. Hanover, I explained the gospel to him. He pulled over to the side of the road and wept against the steering wheel, and he trusted Christ that day. Sudden explosive sobs shook Mrs. Hanover. Getting a grip on herself, she sobbed, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him. Where is your husband, Mrs. Hanover, Roger asked. He's dead, she wept, struggling with her words. He was in a car crash after he let you out of the car. He never made it home on May 7th. I thought he never found Christ. In this message, we'll be looking at 
another surprising and dramatic conversion, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Like Abraham's call was a watershed moment in Scripture, so too is the salvation of Saul and the Damascus Road. It resulted in a monumental change in God's dealings with mankind, and thus it is a major event of the Bible. Acts 22, 1-5 reads, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus, to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. Paul was in Jerusalem here, following his third apostolic journey. Paul had been walking around the temple grounds. Because of the knowledge of Paul's ministry among the Gentiles, and believing he was teaching things contrary to the Jews, the law, and the temple, when some unbelieving Jews saw Paul in the temple, they incited a riot against him. They had seen Paul in Jerusalem earlier with a Gentile from Ephesus named Trophimus, and they supposed that Paul had taken his Gentile friend into the inner courts of the temple, and they accused him of this falsely. The city was full of Jews who were there for the Feast of Pentecost. So when this accusation was made against Paul, the crowd of people in the temple became enraged because it was absolutely prohibited for Gentiles to go beyond the court of the Gentiles. The city was then thrown into an uproar, and Paul was seized by this enraged mob and drug out of the temple area. The temple doors were shut behind them. Acts 21.31 then tells us they went about to kill him, and they began beating Paul. Roman officers and soldiers then ran into the crowd and saved Paul's life pulling them away from the infuriated mob, putting them in chains, and bringing him to the nearby barracks. As they were about to take Paul into the barracks, Paul asked the chief captain if he could say something to the crowd. And this Roman officer gave Paul permission. Standing on the stairs, leading into the Roman barracks in Jerusalem, Acts 21.40 states, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, The shouts subside, the mob comes down, and that brings you to Acts 22, verse 1. This is the first time in Acts that Paul had given a personal account of his own conversion. This account in chapter 2 is a first-person I account, whereas Luke's historical historical account in chapter 9 was a third-person he account. Three times in the book of Acts, Paul's conversion is recorded in Acts 9, here in 22, and later in 26. The book of Acts is not a long book, so it is extraordinary that a book of this length would repeat the exact 
same incident three times. Saying it once means that it is important because everything in Scripture is vitally important. Saying it twice kicks it up a notch and means that the Holy Spirit is revealing to us something very significant. Saying it three times means that God is really trying to get our attention and is stressing that this event is especially noteworthy in the pages of His Word. And not only that, but Paul even wrote about his conversion in his epistles too. Because this conversion marks a significant change from God's dealings with Israel to now God's dealings with the nations, from the dispensation of the law to now the dispensation of grace, from the twelve apostles of the kingdom to now the one apostle for the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit recorded Paul's conversion three times in the transitional book of Acts. Genesis 12 recorded the call of Abraham, which was the beginning of God's program with Israel in raising up one great nation to be a blessing to all the other nations, and that that nation had a future hope in the promised land. But after God temporarily suspended that program after Israel's fall, Acts 9, 22, and 26 record the raising up of Paul to be the apostle to the nations for a program in which God is saving individuals from all nations by grace through faith alone in Christ, making them members of the church, the body of Christ, and giving them a heavenly hope. Now, it makes you stop and wonder that if we had just been beaten up by an angry mob that was trying to kill us, and if we got pulled from it and rescued, would our first thought be, like Paul, I need to reach these people for Christ. Paul fervently loved his countrymen, as he wrote in Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Speaking in the Hebrew, to try to reach the Jews in Jerusalem, Paul said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. Paul then began by relating his manner of life before his conversion. Those who stirred up this mob had been crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people, or the Jews, and the law in this place, or the temple. Paul defended himself by declaring, I am a Jew. And then he piled up his Jewish credentials and showed how he had lived an exemplary Jewish life. Paul stated that he was a Jew who was a native of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. Tarsus was a city in the region of Cilicia in southeastern Asia Minor in what is modern Turkey. So Paul gives the fact that he was a Jew born outside of the land, but then he added that yet he was brought up in this city of Jerusalem where he was currently here. Paul had been nurtured and educated spiritually in Jerusalem. And who had educated and trained him was significant. Gamaliel. Paul had a well-known and highly esteemed teacher. Gamaliel was one of the most prestigious rabbis of his day. Acts 5.34 describes this man as a Pharisee, a doctor of the law, 
had in reputation among all the people, or held in respect by all the Jews. All of the Jews listening that day in Jerusalem knew exactly who Gamaliel was, and this further established Paul's credibility with this audience. As a student of Gamaliel, Paul had been educated, he says, according to the perfect or strict manner of the law of the fathers. Paul's Jewish training was impeccable. He received extensive training in the law, and Paul was saying that his training in the Jews' religion, it was strict. He had been trained to be a strict legalist, to follow the letter of the law without wavering and to the smallest detail. And as a result, Paul said that he was zealous toward God. His training had translated into a great zeal to live for God and by his law and to defend that law. Paul said that he was zealous toward God, and then he added, as ye all are this day. And that's interesting because Paul compliments the mob that had just tried to kill him. Paul did not blame them for what they had done to him. Instead, he pointed out that in his former zeal toward God under the law, he's saying, I would have done the same thing. Out of his zeal, he had persecuted this way unto the death. The mob had tried to kill Paul, but Paul's saying, my zeal surpassed yours. He's saying, you tried to kill me, but I succeeded in having many put to death. Those of this way are those who believed in and followed the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul had believed that these people of this way were a great threat to the purity of the Jews' religion, and so he did everything in his power to stamp them out. Paul militantly defended his faith. He had those who believed in Jesus Christ put to death, and he filled the prisons with them. He arrested and delivered not only men, but women into prison. And beyond that, the high priest and the Jewish religious elders in Jerusalem could bear witness to his zeal and the thoroughness of his methods. Because he went to them to receive letters of authorization to go to far-off Damascus in Syria to extradite to Jerusalem, those who believed in Jesus Christ, to have them imprisoned, beaten, or killed. Paul's speech to this crowd was basically this. I was just like you all, and even more so, until I had an encounter with the risen Christ. Christ met me on the road to Damascus, and he changed my life forever. Acts 22, 6-10 reads, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. 
Paul now recounted that remarkable day on the road to Damascus, an event that was a major turning point in history and in God's dealings with mankind. As Paul approached Damascus, his long journey was nearly at its end, and Paul was near his journey's end in more ways than one. His journey in life as an unbelieving, hateful persecutor was also near its end. As he drew near Damascus, around noon, without warning, a great light suddenly flashed from heaven and shone all around Paul and those traveling with him. The light was more brilliant and glorious than the sun at its height at noonday. When the sun was at its brightest, the sun, or S-O-N, in his glory shined even brighter. And the power and intensity of that light forced Paul to fall onto the ground. And this light was designed not only to awake Paul's attention, but to signify the enlightening of his understanding with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul experienced what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 about salvation, that it's about God giving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that verse is exactly what Paul experienced in his conversion on the Damascus Road. One author wrote this, Before he encountered Christ, Paul had been a wild-eyed young zealot. He marched through the countryside like a general, demanding that backslidden Jews salute the flag of the motherland or kiss their family in hopes goodbye. All this came to a halt, however, on the shoulder of a highway, that's when someone slammed on the stadium lights and he heard the voice. Paul saw Christ's glory with that bright light and then he heard his voice. And the voice said to him, Saul, Saul. The Lord knew Paul. He knew his name. He knew his background that we just looked at. He knew everything he had been doing in his persecution of the saints. The Lord asked Saul, Why? persecutest thou me. Because to persecute the people of this way was to actually persecute the way, or Jesus Christ. Before Saul was made a saint, he was made by Christ to see himself as a sinner, and a great sinner, and a sinner against Christ. It's been said that a humbling conviction of sin is the first step towards a saving conversion from sin. Lying prostrate on the ground, surrounded by the great light, hearing those words, Why persecutest thou me? Paul wondered, Who's the me? And so, respectfully, he asked, Who are you, Lord? He didn't believe in Jesus Christ or that he had been risen from the dead. And so the Lord's response to him had to have shocked and shaken him to his core. When Christ said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Paul had been struck down by a great light, but this revelation coming from Christ would have been like a lightning bolt to his soul. And Paul believed it. He believed in Christ and that he was risen from the dead at this moment. Remember, Paul is in Jerusalem where Christ was crucified when he's giving this account. The lie had been made known in Jerusalem and beyond about 
resurrection day that the disciples came by night and had stolen his body. And Paul here is making sure to this Jewish audience in Jerusalem, he wanted them to know that Jesus of Nazareth who died on a cross in Jerusalem is absolutely alive and risen from the dead. Saul's theology was turned upside down in a moment from being zealous to God through the law. Now his zeal was suddenly redirected, turned toward Jesus Christ and living for him. Paul's question, what shall I do, Lord, shows his conversion. His life went from proudly doing what he felt was right and going to Damascus to stamp out those who believed in Christ to a complete 180 and humbly submitting to Christ and asking him what he wanted him to do and where he wanted him to go. Paul's conversion shows the transforming power of the gospel. And it's been said well that Paul went from persecuting Christ to praising Christ. He went from plotting against the saints to preaching Christ to the saints. On the Damascus Road, he went from death to life, from bondage to liberty, from blindness to sight, from futility to forgiveness. Paul's salvation was entirely by grace. God saved the chief of sinners here by grace because God's dealings with mankind were changing from law to grace. So God saved a man who was zealous for the law, who had been viciously persecuting the saints of God, and he saved him by his grace. And then he sent him out as the apostle of the nations to proclaim the grace and peace that God is revealing to the world today. Acts 22, 21-22 read, And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. As Paul continued with his testimony before the crowd in Jerusalem, he told them how he had been blinded by the light, blinded by the glory of the light when Christ appeared and was led by the hand into Damascus. There Ananias came unto him and addressed him as family calling him Brother Saul, and commanded him to receive his sight. And then God used Ananias to tell him the things that Christ had said in verse 10, the things which had been appointed by God for him to do. And Ananias told him, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Paul was a chosen vessel of God that, that Paul would know his will regarding God's will and plans and purposes for the nations under grace in light of Israel's fall. And just like Paul saw the just one, and he heard the voice of his mouth on the Damascus road. Ananias was telling him, this is going to continue as Christ would appear to him going forward again 
to reveal his gospel and message of grace for today. And then Paul was to take that message of God's grace as the apostle of the Gentiles and to be a witness unto all men of those things which he would see and hear from Christ. Then Paul told the crowd about a time that he came again to Jerusalem three years after his conversion. While he was praying in the temple, the temple that they were next to at that very moment, he fell into a trance there and heard the Lord commanding him to leave Jerusalem quickly because the people would not receive his testimony concerning Christ. But Paul objected to the Lord's words because it seemed incredible to him that his own people would refuse to listen to him because he thought the Jews would be so struck by the radical change in his life. He thought of himself as being the perfect one to bring the gospel to his fellow Jews since they knew what a zealous Jew he had been and how he had imprisoned and beaten the followers of Christ and how he had even been an accomplice to the murder of Stephen. But then he had been saved and transformed by the risen Christ and all that changed. But Paul said that the Lord would not permit him to stay and repeated his command, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And Acts twenty-two twenty-two says, And they gave him audience unto this word. When Paul said the word Gentiles, it was like a spark in a powder magazine and the crowd explodes in rage. Paul had made it very clear that it was God's plan for him that he go to the Gentiles, but the mention of the Gentiles was the last straw. Now, they only saw Paul as an apostate from the law, a traitor to his nation, who alleged a vision from heaven and a trance in their temple as a defense of God flinging open the door of faith, salvation, and divine worship to the uncircumcised sinners of the Gentiles, and they would not hear another word, and they believed it was not fit for Paul even to live. God sent Paul far hence unto the Gentiles, because that would be his field of labor now that God had changed his dealings with mankind. The Damascus Road was a monumental event because by it, God started a new dispensation. He started a new church, the body of Christ, and he raised up his spokesman of grace and the apostle to the nations. And each of us should praise God for this dispensation of grace, which continues to this moment and will continue until the rapture. Because this day, this time, is a day of salvation. Each person who is saved today is saved like Paul, by the grace of God, through faith alone in Christ. And then by God's grace, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places and given a, an eternal inheritance and hope in Christ. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.